Shalom Aleichem, welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Steve Marcus. Steve is the recipient of honors and awards from the American Society of Illustrators. His work is included in the permanent collection of the Oakland Museum of California, as well as private art collections in the U.S. and abroad. Steve has collaborated with Allen Ginsberg, Ken Kesey, Timothy Leary, the Estates of Norman Mailer, and Miguel Pinero, and the hot, red hot chili peppers. He's created artwork and illustrations for High Times Magazine and the infamous Cannabis Cup, the United Nations MTV, the Tibetan Freedom Concerts, The Source, Condé Nast Publications, Esquire, and posters for the Fillmore East, oh, not the Fillmore East, I beg to differ, Fillmore in San Francisco. An exhibition of his work opens at the Yiddish Book Center on June 24th, 2021, when the center begins its phased reopening to the public. Steve, I'm delighted to welcome you. It's great to have you on the line for a chat today. It's been uh, long in the making, I think it's safe to say. You know, my um, my visit to your studio on the Lower East Side in Manhattan was my last visit to New York, which was a few weeks before the quarantine. And I know we've both been eager to have this conversation and probably more to the point to have the exhibit installed and on view at the center, which it is now. So good news. Yes, Steve? Yes, I'm so excited. It's like, you know, and New York City's finally opening and it's like uh, starting to blossom. It's like, uh, you know, as what it was and in, in a new way, in a new way as well, like, you know, but it's very exciting to see the whole world start to open up and I'm excited to finally get the art hang, hung on the wall at the Yiddish Book Center and excited to uh, have this conversation, even though I have to say after a year of quarantine and social distancing, it's like, it's great to also, you know, physically to uh, be together in a space and I can't wait to see all the people walking around the Yiddish Book Center inside together. Here, here. And, you know, it was great. We had your exhibit um, here securely stored during the pandemic. And one of the first things we did in terms of getting ready for the reopening was to do the installation, which you were here for, and we completed. And I have to say the two galleries look fabulous. So let's let's start talking a little bit um, about the background um, if, if we can, in terms of your work with underground comics and sort of how you got started in this direction. Okay. Well, I'm basically, um, I think, uh, like many uh, children, they were like, whether it's children's books, and then the next level of picture books is comic books. And, and then as people uh, grow, some people uh, start to evolve still maintaining maybe superhero comics but start to get into underground comics which have like more of a adult theme or a more like personal exploration in their themes and uh that's basically what happened with myself it's like i got uh from children's books i always and to this day love books with pictures and uh was greatly influenced by that and as they say you know a picture's worth a thousand words so what you could get into that picture is always uh is like a book in itself so essentially i was able to as a young artist to be able to uh contribute to a lot of underground comics and a lot of underground publications and meet the uh new york underground and uh, eventually end up out in uh, different cities and the west coast 
and to be able to meet a lot of these uh, like-minded people that were pursuing their self-expression through um, the the through the genre of, of comics. It, I I see, and I think it's probably safe to say this. I mean, your work is very evocative of the 60s and you bring it forward in really interesting ways so i'd love to hear you talk a little bit about both that influence and also and i'm wondering if you have thoughts about this um then sort of the narrative nature of comic books and kind of drawing from what i think of as jewish narrative art in illustration as well uh-huh. Well, I, I started off, I mean, when it comes to art, you know, people need to make a, a living even as an artist. And uh, I was able to make a living as an illustrator. And, uh, you know, comics are drawing. And so basically I was doing illustration and comics and cartoons and eventually uh, animation. And the influence, I would say, from the underground was that, uh, was that it, was, it was personal meaning that, you know, a lot of the superhero comics, it's like there's something uh, that's not as personal. It's not as autobiographical. And I think the, the you know, everybody has a great story within themselves. And in some way, everybody is exciting and interesting and in their own way, bizarre as well. So I would say to be able to express oneself in that through that medium, has been um has been great. I've always been a bit of a, an irreverent uh, person, which is why I also was um you know with my rebel spirit also attracted to this kind of uh, underground comics and the underground and alternative culture movement in general. And um, I think that what's as time's gone on that individual kind of expression has become more and more mainstream and that people now more than ever are, uh, you know, pushed forward to say that it's good to be yourself and to express yourself and not to uh, just uh, to, I guess the right word would be to suppress one's oneself. And so that was the other thing that I was interested in because in the time that I started doing these uh, comics and types of illustration there was still a very uh, strong mainstream but the underground and alternative culture was slowly moving in the direction of becoming mainstream of which now that obviously um it, it is and so it's uh it's been a great um it's been a great personal journey but it's also been an amazing collective journey you know nationally as well to witness the change and development of everything that from all aspects of, of our lives. It's kind of interesting to, to at least give a nod to that, you know, what in the art world, um, you know, we, we talk about high art and low art. And I definitely think, as you say, it, the, art, the art world has opened up uh, to, to looking at this work as being part of that the larger high art world, as it were. Um, and you mentioned that a little bit and and sort of early collaborations. I wonder if you can talk about some of those collaborations and influences and um, sort of how you straddle both 
you know, the world of fine art and what's on exhibit here, I see is fine art and comic book art. Right, well, I would say, you know, basically, I, I think that, you know, as far as the, the museum world or what was high art or highbrow, lowbrow or whatever, um, I think that, you know, they have always had folk museums and with folk art, you know, whether it's like art related to, you know, um, quilting or wood carving or these type of like um, kind of naivete kind of forms of art or whatever. And I think uh, as time's gone on, people want the real currency in this time now that we're living in this um, technological world where people can um, really um, promote and um, commodify themselves in any way that they see fit that ultimately the greatest currency at this time is authenticity. And I think that, that the, what we'll say is the highbrow art world realizes now that authenticity is something that is the greatest currency. And a lot of people have not so many life experiences. You can't get so many life experiences through the internet. You have to go out and live them. And I think that there was a time which uh which seems now so long ago but really is not in the scheme of things of as far as human uh the, our human existence that it's like to have an experience we had to go out and actually um live it where now people just um are able to create their commodified self on a profile online and that being said um in my past um, when I did some of these co collaborations that you had mentioned, I was part of that uh, world and was um, mixing up and socializing with a lot of these um, different types of people. And different kinds of people inspire each other. And each one of us brings a piece to make a whole. And whether it was um, with Allen Ginsberg, Esquire magazine, as an example, it said that, you know, that. Alan should write the uh, write the comic, and Steve should uh, should draw it. And I had this amazing um, experience of like being able to work with Alan Ginsberg and having us um, collaborate with each other. And um, and it was a great um, thrill to be able as a young guy. I mean, it was a, it was a long time ago, so I was a young man, and basically they saw it as not just a um, I guess a collaboration of artistic uh, minds and of different disciplines, whether it's writing and drawing coming together to make the comic, but and uh, to create comics. But it was also about like a generational, meaning that it's like, you know, essentially when he was um, doing a lot of his, um, what became like famous poetry, um, it was like that's around the time that I was actually born. So in a way, I was from a different generation, and they also liked the idea that we were bridging this uh, this generational gap and unifying it through uh, through our creativity, which was also exciting. And it's really the same kind of story in different ways. Whether uh, whether it was with Timothy Leary, who I also did comics with, and I had a great thrill was put together. Um, with Timothy Leary through a magazine that now defunct that um, I believe they just made a documentary about called Cream Magazine. It was a rock and roll magazine. 
and I was always uh, into the music um, scene as a young guy, and it met a lot of people that way as well, and um, basically had the opportunity to actually go out to L.A. and spend some time with Timothy Leary, who was obviously a, uh, a very interesting and infamous character, and uh, did some uh, collaborations with him as well. And each one of those opportunities was, uh, was just an, became an incredible memory. And all of my written exchanges with them, um, I've saved in my archive. And it's like, and now I look at them and it's just, it's like, it's like magical and, and it's just incredible. Some of the other collaborations you had mentioned had, had come later after uh, when I started to stop not say stop, but change and evolve and grow, where I used to do a lot of more pop cultural artwork for High Times and all these type of different uh, political, social movements and, um, and different popular culture venues. And then um, about uh, 11 years ago, I got into my roots and culture and uh, really understanding and respecting the whole idea behind um, and the issue of cultural appropriation and always being uh, proud to be a, a Jew, I said, you know, I want to represent my own culture, not just a um, cult American culture, which was based on just uh, what I was doing was around being cool or these different ideas. I said, you know, I want to represent my own roots and culture. And so some of the collaborations, like the um, with the Norman Mailer estate, as an example, I had been put together with, with um, the estate through um, one of Norman Mailer's children, John Buffalo Mailer. And, uh, you know, Norman Mailer was also a Jew, and he was from New Jersey. And uh, I believe his grandfather was actually the Rub of Long Branch. And uh, he was raised as a secular um, Jew in America. And um, he had written these fascinating uh, responses to uh, Tales of the Hasidim, written by Martin Buber. And um, it was a, basically my friend John had said to me, Steve, you, you should really illustrate and do some artwork and do some kind of something creative about this because people really aren't familiar with this and it's an incredible subject. And you're the only person that could really do it because who else knows um, about the counterculture and is equally as versed in, in Judaism. And uh, I looked over everything and, uh, and was just fascinated with it. And it was an incredible um, response uh, and commentary on uh, Tales of the Hasidim and read the entire thing and uh, cherry picked uh, a series of, of writings and then went forth making us fine art prints related to each of those um, writings that were between uh, Buber and, and Mahler. And it was, uh, that was an incredible project. So some of the um, collaborations have come uh, later um, and which ultimately lead into, I guess, what you had asked about the Yiddish Book Center and some of the work that I have there, which, um, you know, people should always, uh, you know, embrace where they came from and their own roots and culture and be proud of you know what they've been involved in and what they've done because that's made them what they are today. And um, I've never let go of my counterculture roots or my love of 
the comic form and cartoons and and just general lightheartedness about um, expressing oneself and um, basically was able to uh, have the great opportunity to uh, meet everybody at the Yiddish Book Center and then have uh, be offered the, the chance to um, display my work there of which um, half of it was from one of the galleries was um, is the work that I had from the exhibition at the Jewish Museum of Florida that happened just before the pandemic that was very successful and well-received and um, did a bunch of selections from that work. And then in the other room, because I love to make art and I love to be productive and um, I made a new series just for the Yiddish Book Center that I'm very um, happy about. That's, uh, you know, funny and, uh, you know, easily accessible and Jewish and and um, cartoony and it's uh, and it's great. I mean, me saying it's great is like my mother telling everybody how smart and good looking I am. But the fact of the matter is, it, it's like it looks amazing, and I'm very very pleased. And artists are generally the worst critics. <laughs> well, um, in place of your mother here on the podcast, I'll say you're allowed to you're allowed to say what you say. You know, it, all of this is so interesting to me in the way that it manifests itself in your art, Steve. And I think um, you really take the viewer into a world and as you say, populated by black hats and streetscapes. And having had the um, opportunity, which was wonderful to visit you in your studio and and also in the Lower East Side, um, all of this inhabits your work. And it also is so interesting in the way that I think it opens up this world to any and all, as you say. You know, I was I was walking through a, the galleries with a reporter the other day, um, uh, and he was so taken by getting this sort of entry point into Jewishness, the, both the humor and the you know the cultural aspects how do you how do you see that in your work do you think about that or is it just that this infuses your life and it then comes out in your work well i think that um basically artists uh you know in general we have a responsibility um to uh to the world and uh obviously to our own integrity but um in this time that we're living in, unfortunately, in my opinion, you know, art has been uh, weaponized, so to speak, and has become a tool of divisiveness, where I think creativity, whether it's art and music, should ultimately be used to build bridges and uh, bring people closer together and foster harmony rather than division. So when it comes to my art, I'm very conscious of making it whether someone's Jewish or not Jewish, or whether they're religious or not religious, that they should feel that it's accessible to them and that it should speak to them. And that one of the way to do that is one is to, if someone's religious, to follow the um, law, the Jewish laws, which in Hebrew is the halakha, of, of creating imagery of one of the examples is there's a piece in one of the rooms called the wandering Jews 
It's like a very easy rider kind of image with these, um, you know, um, Hasidic um, biker gang going through the desert. And it's the, everybody would say it's the perfect moment to have this big round circle that represents the sun, but we can't create that kind of image of the sun. It's against the, the, the rules, so to speak. So because of that, to respect religious people, that piece as an example is an obvious example to somebody that's religious that it does not have the two-dimensional image of the sun or a planet. The other side is if someone isn't aware of some of these subtle details because they're not religious and that they enjoy bagels and locks on Sunday, you know, pastrami sandwich and, um, you know, cream soda or whatever, then from there, it's like they look at it and they also have the memory of eating the kosher dill pickles and having their pastrami sandwich and doing whatever it may be and that they feel like pulled in and connected to it through their cultural identities and I think that's important too and the fact is whether someone like I said isn't Jewish and they were to walk down the street they walk through the streets of the Lower East Side or through Brooklyn or seen the images in books or in movies or whatever it may be and for them it's like they're a part of that streetscape as well because they're in the street too. So the same way it's like accessible to everybody that it's like we live in this world together. And so that's a very important thing. And what a better way to be an ambassador of my roots and culture than to make it accessible to all people. It, and to that, I guess I'd ask you, Included in, in the exhibit, and, and again, for our listeners, um, there are two exhibits here, Through the Hat and the Golden Medina in two different galleries, um, but included are both ritual objects, which I would love you to talk a little bit about, and then um, Sid Kaplan's photos of you. Um, how, do they, how do they weave themselves into this? Well, um, for one, um, first, since I'll go in the order of your question, um, as far as some of the ritual objects, um, I think it's, uh, I, first of all, I love to make things, not just draw. And so um, I love to make objects. So a lot of these uh, objects that you're speaking about are um, a lot of yods, which are the pointers for reading a Torah and things since we're not allowed to touch it and things of that nature and um, mezuzah cases and which we hang on the doorposts that we say in um, the, the via hafta and uh, that we should hang it on our doorposts and gates. And so I make those covers. And one of the things that I said about representing our, the roots and culture, not only through, you know, cartoon imagery, but also that there's this, that it's like, it just doesn't exist in this fun space. It actually has this practical creation as well. And so one of the things about artwork that I've always thought is, is also important is that the fact that it has this utilitarian aspect to it, not just a pretty picture on the wall. So obviously I love a pretty picture on the wall, but I also am attracted to the utilitarian aspect of creativity, um, artistry, and craftsmanship. So because of that, I've made a lot of these objects and um, some other things that I've made are like, you know, prayer stands and bimas that are hand carved and things of that nature, because they're actually usable. And we have this idea called Hidur Mitzvah, 
which is to increase the beauty of doing the action. And one of the ways that that's possible is um, through actually creating a beautiful object to do that action with. So that's something that I think is um, one of the great um, the opportunities that I have to create these kind of objects that can actually be used. And um, so that's been very special. As far as my relationship with Sid Kaplan, who um, I'm proud to say I just adore him. He's just such an amazing, incredibly special person. And I just can't say enough about how great he is. I met him actually um, at a synagogue. He's not an especially um, religious guy, but he happens to be a very culturally Jewish guy. And um, I met him at a synagogue and people tried to make a shidduch, which is um, basically a match and said, uh, you know, at the synagogue, they're like, oh, he's an artist and you're an artist. You guys should talk to each other. Well, nothing like people trying to make a, set up a blind date or make a match to make people not want to talk to one another. So we basically uh, just kind of were very polite with each other for a little bit and just were like, nice, nice to see you. How are you? And then um, we started to talk a bit more and basically became very, very, very dear friends. And we speak to each other regularly. And I, when I mean regularly, it could be almost every other day. And we live 10 blocks apart. He's also a East Side resident. And uh, he is now um, about to be 83 years old. And uh, he still takes his photos. And, um, you know, with a 35 millimeter camera, has a dark room in his apartment, which he calls the picture kitchen, and uh, basically um, develops the photos himself. And they are, so the photos that are on the wall at the Yiddish Book Center were developed in Sid Kaplan's picture kitchen. And um, basically just having, being friends with him is, an, is just an amazing, um, is just an amazing uh, blessing that I have. But um, he's also one of the America's great photographic and darkroom masters. His lifetime uh, archive was just acquired by the uh, Rose Rare Manuscript, Book and Manuscript Archive held at Emory University, which is, um, which is incredible. And um, that he had the opportunity to empty out the flat files in his storage space and, and have his, his lifetime of work be archived in, a, um, in a, such a great institution. And, um, and he is still continues to be motivated and make um, and create artwork and photography um, like he was like, you know, a teenager. He's quite inspiring to be around. And um, he wanted to take pictures of me, which I felt uh, doing the work for the exhibits in Florida and at the Yiddish Book Center. And he's been, um, which to me is amazing because he's taken, he also was friends with Allen Ginsberg. He worked with Robert Frank, who's a famous photographer, Ouija. He's like, has his work in the MoMA. He's, uh, you know, he's an incredible um, person and, uh, and just a very down to earth and just a great friend. So just to have his photos there, to people that, uh, it's um, they come and see it. You're really looking at a just a, a true uh, living master and a, and just a legendary contributor to American culture. And I'm just you know feel humbled that he 
came to my studio, which you came to, to photograph me in it. And his photos are a little better than mine, Steve. Um, I will let uh, our listeners know that the, the photographs are incorporated in the exhibit um, as they show Steve at work. And they're really a wonderful addition. Um, it gives you a real sense of the, the process and the artist. So quickly, before I let you go, um, what do you hope the viewer takes away from the work? Well, for one, it's like, I guess, simply said, it's like I hope that they come to the Yiddish Folk Center and have a great time there. And, um, and I hope that my artwork contributes to the joy that they have when they're in the Yiddish Folk Center. And that brings them not only a good day, but also a good memory that they should, in, you know, that's really ultimately what I hope for is just that they enjoy themselves looking at it because when it comes to artwork, you know, people could go and get all these degrees, PhD, master's degrees in, in understanding artwork, but ultimately it comes down to whether one likes it or not. And so really, I just hope that when people come, that they look at it, they like it, they enjoy it, and that they want, makes them want to come back to the Yiddish Book Center in the future, whether my work is in there or not, knowing that the Yiddish Book Center you know, exhibits um, great things. Uh, well, um, we are thrilled to have this. Um, your exhibit, which is two parts, Through the Hat and the Golden Medina, opens here at the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts on June 24th. And it will remain on view here at the center in Amherst through the winter of uh, 2022. You can learn more about planning a visit to see this visiting exhibit of Steve Marcus's work, along with uh, viewing the center's permanent exhibits by visiting yiddishbookcenter.org slash visit. And I want to urge all of you to stay tuned for more from Steve Marcus, including the announcement of a gallery talk with Steve here at the center when we can do that sometime mid-fall and hoping for some other um, ways to engage with both you, Steve, the artist, and, and your work. And also, um, I'll mention that listeners who would like to learn more can visit your website, which is smarcus, M-A-R-C-U-S.com, correct? Yes. Um, well, thank you again um, for taking time on a very humid day in the city uh, to visit with me. We so look forward to opening our doors and having your work on exhibit. So stay well, and we'll see you here at the center again soon. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, Steve. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about the podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.